This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay. And today we're joined with Nick Sharma, who's the CEO of Sharma Brands, and he's an active investor in the DTC space. Nick is kind of like the DTC guy. So we are super excited to be diving into this podcast to talk about pretty much everything DTC. And I know, Nick, you're a big fan on authentic content as well. So we're going to be diving into that stuff as well. But before we kind of get started, would love if you could give like a quick little intro of what you do. I'm sure most of our audience listening knows what you do, but just for the others that don't, uh, what you kind of do and a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. The quick and dirty intro is I kind of started my career out of high school, jumping into the ad tech world and learning all about how that world works. And then kind of paired that with joining one of the brands that I just consumed on a daily basis, which was Hintwater. Spent two years there building the direct consumer business, left there and moved to New York, joined VaynerMedia for a brief stint, helping them kind of build out the Vayner Commerce division, left VaynerCommerce and just started consulting and realized that there was a big kind of gap in the direct consumer world around brands that understand hyper growth, you know, in a similar way that I was doing at Hint. And so I decided I would build up a team of my own where we can essentially come in and attach to brands and help them on the growth side of things. And so that's what Sharma Brands is today. And then on the side, I do quite a bit of investing and advising for other brands. And between those two, I pretty much have a full-time gig. <laughs> yeah, I know you stay busy. I, I know we're connected on LinkedIn, so I always see like every like couple of weeks or so, you've got a new update about you investing in a new D2C brand or advising a new D2C brand. So it's pretty cool to see. So I know you're pretty active in that space, obviously. So I'd love to know from you, like, what are some of like the factors and like key indicators that you kind of look for in D2C brands to decide to invest? Because you are invested in in so many and advising so many as well. The main thing that I look for, honestly, is some kind of moat within the brand. So I think like one thing I've seen is for a brand that's sub $10 million in revenue, there has to be some kind of moat within the company that gets them to that 10 million. And then it becomes a different game. And so I think to get them there, I look for a moat either within the products. So do they have a product that nobody else has? It's somehow revolutionary. It's something that only they have access to. And maybe on the product too, you know, do they have access to ingredients that other people probably don't have or manufacturing that other people don't have? So then it could be in distribution. Do they have a celebrity on board? Do they have some source of audience that nobody else has access to? Yeah, basically, honestly, I look for something there that they have that other people don't have. And what's the reason that they're going to be able to do it? And somebody else can't just come rip them off. And it's not necessarily like looking at the Procter and Gamble's of the world to come rip them off because those companies move extremely slow. It's more like, why can't another direct consumer brand do it better than what they're doing? And if they have a solve for that, then it's usually something that that I look at further. So when you say like, do it better, do you mean in the sense of like, they'll be able to do it better on the margin side? Because I know you mentioned like, yeah, competitors can come into the space really quickly. And, you know, that happens all the time. So how do you kind of like 
get ahead of competitors popping up overnight? I mean, like if you look at the sexual wellness space, like Mod is a great example. You know, Mod is a company that consistently leads the category where the other competitors kind of follow pretty often, whether it's copying the messaging, copying the looks of their bottles, copying the products they sell. It's just about like constantly innovating outside of just the marketing side of things in direct to consumer. You have to consistently be focused on product launches, figuring out what's coming next, you know, listening to the customer. I always say like customer service is kind of your first line of defense, but it's also your greatest asset to like the product innovation team because they're hearing exactly what customers want and need. So yeah, you basically have to stay ahead of the other brands and you kind of get rid of competitors by consistently doing things first or launching new things or listening to what your customers want and basically, you know, focus on putting that out. Whereas your competitors might just be playing catch up. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. So what you've seen since you've been active in a lot of D2C brands, what's that timeline usually like? So you've got that like first mover advantage, right? You've got that moat and then there's other people that are always going to come and try and play catch up. Like how big does that first mover advantage need to be? Like, is it like three months, like six months to be able to sustain it? Like, what are you looking for in that sense? I don't think there's any specific timeline. It's more about like, you know, if you have that first mover advantage, like Judy's a great example. Judy, I would consider is like a first mover in the space of emergency kits with really building a really nice brand around it. You know, sure, there's a couple of other companies that do it, but Judy is the most prominent. It's the boldest. It's the brightest. It's the flashiest. You know, Judy stands out better than any other competitor in its category. And there's only a couple. So I think it's more about like, how does a brand really differentiate itself so that, you know, when somebody thinks of the category, they think of that brand first over, you know, whether it's a competitor or maybe even smaller brands that are in that space that were there before you. Like nobody thinks about emergency kits and thinks preppy. They think Judy. Yeah, it totally makes a lot of sense. So talking about that, I mean, obviously a lot of direct-to-consumer brands and DTC brands have used this kind of old playbook before that's based on performance marketing. And I know you've kind of talked about different ways to grow and things like that. So in your opinion, what are some of the ways that brands can grow? Should they still dive into performance marketing a lot? And what kind of other like ancillary things should they be running as well to be able to achieve that hyper growth level? Well, I think there's performance marketing to help sales, but you have to build a brand in order to sell. So like the best way to think about it is like, if you just have a word doc and you put a picture in it, if it's a small picture and you try to stretch it, it gets really blurry. But if it's a really high quality picture and you make it a little bigger, it does really well. The analogy there is like if you don't have enough brand equity, your picture is a lot smaller and you're using performance to stretch it, which just doesn't work. So you need to have the foundation of a really strong brand, a good story, a good product, proper like value props. And performance marketing should only really extend something that is already great. It shouldn't be the tactic to build a business. It should be one of the things. It's really just paying to get 
whatever you have built in front of other people. It's not necessarily like this magic pill to flip a switch and start generating tons of revenue, which is where a lot of people go wrong and a lot of D2C brands because they expect that the second they turn on their advertising, you know, it's something that everybody is going to flock to buy, but they may just have not built a solid enough brand or properly done like user feedback testing, understood what it is that people like about the product. I see it all the time too. When Even when brands come like hot off the press from a brand book, they start running ads and they're like, oh, none of this works. And it's because they just focus on pushing with paid ads what's in their brand book, which are just messaging pillars that were created in brand studio, but they're not derived from like looking at the data of what do people respond to or what phrases or keywords get the highest click-through rate, for example. It's just something that's in their brand book. And then when it doesn't work, then they're like, oh, nothing is selling. We don't know why it's not working. And it's because, well, you haven't created a proper brand yet to be able to just accelerate with paid media. Like paid media should never be something that you just aim to turn on and it just magically like drives revenue, right? It should just be incrementally added in because it's focused on expanding what you already have. That makes complete sense over there. And so you're talking about, you know, having that brand and building that brand, having that in place, and you want to be the first mover at the same time. So how does that all kind of fit in together? So you're trying to get your product out first as well, be the fastest one to the market. Cause you know, once you have a good idea, it seems like everyone wants to come and copy it and yeah. steal that idea. So how do you kind of balance that act? Like how much time should you spend towards building that brand versus like trying to get that product out there as fast as possible? So that way you're in the market first and your idea comes first before someone else lands on the same thing. Yeah. Well, I think there shouldn't necessarily be a huge emphasis on rushing per se. Obviously, you have to go product first, in my opinion. Your product has to be a stellar product. Otherwise, one, nobody's going to want to buy it again, at least. Two, your word of mouth is not going to be there, which is incredibly necessary at the early stage. So yeah, so I think product should always be a focus. I don't think you should rush just to get out there. But I think in terms of like, how do you launch without the fear of competitors? I think one of the big problems is people focus too much on their competitors and they start doing things to compete with their competitors instead of serving the customer. So I would say like, just honestly ignore competitors. Like when I was at Hint, we would never even think about who was a competitor because we just knew that as long as we were focused on serving the customer, I couldn't even name competitors in our space. And honestly, for most of the brands we work with today, I can't even name our competitors because I just don't care for competitors. And it allows us to just focus on doing what's really good and testing things. It's consistently why we're always doing things that nobody else does because we're so focused on like, how do we test new things? How do we test new offers? How do we test new product launches? How do we do all this other stuff while competitor, you know, if you think about competitors all the time, you're just like, oh, well, these guys are selling this. Should we be focusing on this? Or, oh, these guys just came out with this CBD this or this charcoal that. Should we be focusing on that? And the answer is always no. You got to just kind of keep going with what you're doing and not consistently look at your competitors. 
Yeah. Just keep kind of driving forward. Yeah. And so you talked about like, once you have that brand in place and you know, you have that product and you can't start doing performance marketing. I want to ask this question before we kind of turn off from the performance marketing side, but do you think that brands need to be profitable on the first foray into Facebook ads or any like performance marketing kind of stuff? Or can they kind of acquire that over lifetime value? Yeah, I think, well, I think the whole lifetime value thing is a joke. I think that brands should aim to 100% be profitable on the first purchase. If you're a consumable product with high repeat purchase rate or high reorder rate or high frequency of, of ordering, then you can afford to be like break even on first purchase, which is usually the goal for most food and bev companies or even like body care, skincare, beauty, but you should 100% aim to be profitable, especially if you're selling something like a home product, whether it's cookware, whether it's a, a couch, a mattress, whatever it is, a keyboard, you definitely want to be profitable on the first purchase. And there's just, and any other way is the wrong way to do it. Yeah. So talking about a little bit more about, you've been in this D2C space for so long. Yeah. Are there any things, and you've been invested in so many brands as well. Are there any things that surprise you that brands still kind of like don't prioritize that they should be? I always hate to see brands that launch and have insane press. They become these like poster childs of the media, but they're just nightmares of actual brands with very little sales no actual operational expertise or moats. So I would say that honestly, brands, they just got to focus on serving the customer from the get-go. And that means constantly listening and constantly engaging with customers, talking to customers, understanding what they want. And if you do that, you'll do pretty okay. Where it goes wrong is when you start creating things, whether it's creative or content or products or communicating in ways that like nobody necessarily asked for, but you think it's right internally. And then that leads to a problem where, you know, you don't really have those sales anymore. Definitely. So I know one thing you also have talked about too, that we've heard is talking about having like a front end developer for brands. Yeah. I think you've mentioned that before. So that's something that's totally, I think different than what a lot of brands look for and try to hire for? Why is that important? So I think that having a developer on board is hugely beneficial because it just allows you to move quickly. It allows you to make changes. It allows you to build landing pages. It allows you to test new ad products because you can implement pixels faster. It allows you to customize the way even your current pixels work. Some of the smarter D2C brands, for example, will fire different pixels depending on different order value or depending on how that customer interacted with the site so that their ad platforms can better optimize to find people who are similar. You know, for example, if you get somebody who buys a product, let's say their normal AOV is 40, but if somebody's buying a $100 AOV, yeah, $100 basket value, you might have a pixel that fires differently. And now your Facebook ad or, or whatever you're running might be focused on optimizing towards a customer that finds that $100 order value. So I think, you know, whether it's pixel stuff, whether it's building landing pages extremely fast, whether it's the fact that you can probably make your site run optimally faster, 
or whether it's just being able to test things on the site, new button colors, new button designs, moving things around on the product pages. Like it's just such a huge advantage. And it's often the one thing that brands neglect or they say, all right, we'll get a dev agency on board or it's kind of like an afterthought in so many cases, but it should be something that is, you know, one of the first key hires. That piece about average order value is really interesting because it's kind of like what the maximum, I guess, kind of level for Facebook ads or even any sort of other performance marketing can really be. It's that individual one-to-one selling where someone can spend, has the purchasing power to spend between 40 and $50 on something. And then maybe you've got another person that's got in the 80 to $100 range, 200 to $300 range, and you're kind of segmenting to get there. So that way you're maximizing the dollar out of every single person. So one other thing and kind of shifting gears a little bit is I know you talk about, we haven't even really dived into this section that much, but you're super huge on authentic content and having authentic ads. And I think that's really cool. And we're all about that over here at Trend as well. You know, we're always pushing raw, authentic content, whether it's coming from content creators or product users, because it just does really well, especially on things like performance marketing. Why does that just connect so well with people? Well, I think it's just about being native to the platform that you're in, right? Like oftentimes we forget that while we're just clicking buttons on an ad platform, the people looking at it are just kind of browsing Facebook or scrolling through Instagram, or they're doing something in their normal, like daily routine. So the biggest thing that I always say is you want to focus on being native to the platform. So if you're on Facebook, it's much more normal, for example, to see like a UGC style video than it is to see like a billboard about some random new product. And so, yeah, it's just about being native to wherever that person is being served the ad. That's why like UGC does extremely well on Snapchat as well, right? Because it's like, if you're scrolling through stories and you see another video that looks like a story, it's going to perform a lot better than something that's just a Photoshop graphic that tells you to swipe up. TikTok does a really good job of this. I know I've been on TikTok a few times and just scrolling through some of the content, you like run into an ad and it doesn't, it doesn't even feel like an ad. So sometimes you forget to swipe up and scroll up because you're just like, oh, this must be the same type of content that I'm viewing. Exactly. Totally. So you've talked about like creative being so important, like how important is it to brand growth? How much effort should you be putting into creating content, how big of like a content library should you need to be able to go out there and test and execute and continue to keep performing? I personally think from the brands that I've seen grow the best, you have to be testing and launching new creative on a weekly basis. And any other way, you're just falling behind. So I would say that, yeah, you just basically have to do a lot of it. And that might be different depending on what your budgets or your spend levels are, but You definitely have to be testing new creative, new messaging, new copy, new graphics, new statics, new video, new landing pages, new offers. You always have to be testing that because you might find something that just completely unlocks growth in a way that wasn't unlocked before. Yeah, testing is such an interesting thing, I always think, because, you know, even if your ad or whatever you have, a landing page is performing really well. 
there's always the opportunity to perform even better. Even so better, even yeah. if you're profitable and you know, you're moving up, you have an opportunity to perform better. And I think that's the part of creative testing. That's really cool. So we talked a lot about what your advice is for direct to consumer brands and how to grow and what's important there. I'd love to hear, like, I feel like a little bit of a serious conversation, but what are some of the brands that you really like a lot? Like what kind of brands do you look at for emails, websites, social that you think are just like really out there crushing it? Yeah. So social wise, my two favorites are probably not pot and black wolf nation, especially from a Twitter perspective. Also topicals is another great one from a email perspective. I think like Poopery, hydrant nugs, Judy does really good emails too. From a website perspective, I would say, I actually think hydrant is a really good site too. I would say Hilma, Chacha Macha. Oh, magic spoon. Of course. Great site. Buffy, one of the highest converting sites. Yeah. Those are probably some of the favorites. Nice. Well, that's a pretty long list and I'm sure our audience really appreciates the chance to get to dive into some of those sites and check out like the website, social media, email, all that stuff. It's always good to get some inspiration. But like you said, don't take too much of it. Try and really do your own thing. Exactly. Exactly. So as we're kind of coming to the end over here, you know, we've talked about your favorite brands, authentic content, all that stuff. I want to shift back to what you're doing in the space. What's next for you and what's next for Sharma Brands? Honestly, just, uh, you know, we're kind of heads down and growing right now. We're working with a ton of brands. For me, I'm still kind of on the lookout for more fun companies to invest in, to advise, to also work with. But yeah, we're basically just heads down right now. Q4 is going to be an interesting one this year. Yeah, honestly, more of the same. Hoping for everybody to sleep a full eight hours on my team. (laughs) And if everybody sleeps eight hours and we can get all our work done, then feeling pretty good. Yeah. I talked about this on another podcast as well, that I read this Jeff Bezos article where he was talking about sleeping for eight hours. Yeah. I don't know if that's what you were, you were harking on a little bit. Oh no, I didn't know that. But every morning I ask my whole team, did everybody sleep eight hours? And also I encourage my team too. If you didn't sleep a full eight hours, then push your morning because you have to get your eight hours in. Otherwise there's no point in starting the work day. It's just going to be a waste of a day. Yeah. I'm on the same page as as well as you, sleep super important. I'm a little bit more of a, I hit my flow mid-afternoon. So that's kind of when nice. I start going. But yeah, thanks so much, Nick, for answering all of our questions and joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Super fun always. So appreciate you having you on. And before I let you go, where can people find more about you, connect with you? And I know you really like this one to text you. Yeah. So people can find me on Twitter. That's probably the easiest place. I'm just at Mr. Sharma on Twitter, or you can text me at 917-905-2340. Cool. All right. Well, I know you have some great stuff on the text content. I'm subscribed to your emails as well. So it's always fun seeing what you have to share over there. But Nick, thanks so much again for joining us on the podcast. Super appreciate it. And for the audience listening out there, we'll see you next time on the DTC pod.